This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to the final official Comedian versus Economist for 2021. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? I'm doing very well, thank you. Final show for the year, final show for season two. Um, yes, it is season two, if you didn't, if you weren't aware. Um, season one was actually uh, nine episodes that we did that was really an introductory season where we covered off the fundamentals and the basics of the economy. Uh, so if you feel like you want to get back to the basics, then why not go and check out the first nine episodes we ever released, which was about this time last year. So we've been at this almost a year, um, but go back and listen to that if you want a, a bit of a brush up. Um, we probably should give it a disclaimer though. <laughs> a lot's changed in a year and dare I say the quality of this podcast may have changed as well. So um, your mileage may vary as you go back and listen to the first nine episodes. Do you have any fond memories from the first nine, Thomas? Uh... No, good. I've All got, right. I've got no memories of it, actually. I forgot we did that. Uh, it has been a big year, massive year. Um, and in fact, we'd love it if you have enjoyed this show throughout the year. We'd love it if you left us a review. Dropping us a review does help, uh, and we'd really appreciate it if you did If you did that. So, yeah, if you've enjoyed the show and you've, you've liked what we've done and you want us to come back next year, it's not a, it's not a threat, um, uh, then please go and leave us a review. That would really help us out. Uh, of course, Thomas, this is our Ask Us Anything show too, where we asked you to ask us anything. And I thought, uh, given that given it's the final show and, and we're, we're looking back a little bit on the year that was, Taylor sent us a message uh, on Instagram, at CBE Podcast. Taylor's question was, what do you think the most memorable news story of the year was, Thomas? So we had some big stories. I particularly liked the ever given ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal. Mm. I thought that was mm. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, for me, and I'll get to yours in a minute, for me, the biggest one had to be the announcement of Bonza Airlines as a new airline <laughs> that's going to launch in 2022. I was just thrilled to know that Alf from Home and Away has set up a side hustle naming airlines for when he finally <laughs> retires from Home and Away. He's actually, a fun fact, he's actually helping launch a cruise ship called the Flamin' Mongrel in 2023. <laughs> no way. Yeah, that's totally false. Um, <laughs> uh, Thomas, what was your most memorable news story of the year? Oh, I reckon it was the whole GameStop story at mm. the start of the year or the end of January. 
Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. The way that that sort of launched meme stocks into mm. the into the vocabulary and yeah, I think it really put retail investors on the mark. Um, and sort of came it came out of sort of Robin Hood traders, the the way that the trading apps had sort of brought a whole generation of retail investors into the market, and it showed that they were a big force to be reckoned with and they could uh, move markets. Mm. Well, that's actually probably a really good place to start. So what we want to do on the show today is we want to um, just take a look back. And, and Thomas, you've given me a list of of the big topics for the year, some of the, the big events throughout the year. So so we're going to cover off those and then uh, we'll get to some more Ask Us Anything questions, some as we go through and then and then a few more later on. So I really appreciate you guys all sending us your questions in, some really good questions in there. But uh, before we get into those, We'll, we'll get started. And so we're talking retail investors to begin with, Thomas. And the emergence of the retail investors you mentioned was was one of the big things of 2021. Yeah, we saw we saw a lot of money coming out of the, the retail space, space out of your mum and dad investors or your Reddit investors. Um, and it became, yeah, it became a serious force. And, and it was sort of enabled by these, by the trading apps. Um, and a lot of it was the sort of meme stock Reddit investors taking punts on on speckies um but it also it also got into etfs so there's quite a big boom in retail inflows into etfs as well mm. yeah and so i think i think it's it's, it's interesting now like it's, it's it is just the the share market is just so accessible to people these days it, like, and that's changed quite quite quickly like it's only a couple of years ago where most people didn't know what was going on, mm. didn't know how to get involved. You can you can combine your love of ETFs and meme stocks now. There's now a meme stock ETF. Right. There's actually it's the the, the ticker. <laughs> would you believe Thomas is meme M E M E, and it tracks stocks trending on social media, which is not to be confused with the existing and well known FOMO ETF, um, which tracks stocks with high social media sentiment. And to be honest, I'd go with FOMO over meme because trending on social media, <laughs> not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> There's been plenty of cases where people have trended on social media for not uh, being at their best, not living their, not, not living their best life. Um, so I don't know just because your company's in the news and trending that that makes you a good investment proposition. Surely, surely they're filtering it somehow. It's not just... In the news, right? <laughs> well, I don't know what separates meme from FOMO. Then, if meme is is stocks that are trending on social media, and FOMO is um, stocks with a high social media sentiment, so they're actually they've gone that extra step and said we'll measure how people are feeling about this stock. Mm. Meme sounds like it's just kind of is it funny if you're getting mentions? If you're getting is it funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah i mean there was was it wirecard in 2020 where there's a company called wirecard and they and they blamed an accounting error which accidentally added 2.3 billion dollars to their balance sheet <laughs> <laughs> and they got busted for accidentally adding that money people got arrested and now the company is, in, is insolvent so i'm pretty sure they would have got a few mentions on the socials Mm. As they were, as they were spiraling out of control, <laughs> don't think that would have been a good investment. Mm. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do your own research. All right. So um, that was that was definitely one of the big things of, of 2021. The collapse of Chinese property developers, Thomas, mm. was another big one you had on the list. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think this story is still unfolding. Like we 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 did this a few months ago, and the question was, is it is it going to 
the collapse of uh, Evergrande, is that going to bring down the global economy? And it's still an open question, I think. Like, there's it, Evergrande's still in trouble. There's, they're still kicking along on life support, but no one's quite sure how they're holding up. They mm. still need to, they're still kind of in the process of restructuring their debts and their fire selling assets and they're, they're staying alive. But um, that contagion has spread through, through the whole property sector. So remember this came out of the, the Chinese government introduced their three red lines policy, which was these, oh, I remember it well. yep. yeah, these three red lines around sort of debt to assets ratio or something like this. They had these three three ratios yeah, that, come, yeah. that they weren't allowed to go over. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't like. No, I, I, well, I remember you share the chart on, oh, yeah, right. on Instagram at, at CVE Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. and I just kept swiping, kept scrolling. So it was yeah. good. I remember yeah. the chart. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that chart showed that that two thirds of the property developers in China are on the wrong side of those red lines, um, right. and so there, there's a shakeout happening in the whole industry. And yeah, it's not just it's not just Evergrande anymore. It's it's there's a Fantasia. There's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of big players mm. going down. And so far, the Chinese government hasn't stepped in to sort of bail them out, which is, has sort of happened in the property sector in the past. So it's sort of an open question. And, and the, the interesting thing about it is it comes from this common prosperity doctrine that's been introduced in China this year. And this seems to be the idea that um, capitalism, they're okay with capitalism creating winners to an extent, but they're wary of creating you know these massive winners, which sort of mm-hmm. like American capitalism has done, where you have sort of Amazon and these kind of players that just dominate the, the space, and then become so big that they become they slip out from under government control, that you no longer have any control because they just have too much money and too much power, and so there seems to be this sort of push in China with the common prosperity doctrine that they're not going to let that happen, and that started with a crackdown on tech early early in the year. And then became a crackdown on, on property as well, and they seem to be happy to 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 let it all shake out. So that's that's mm. still big, and I think that's gonna that's gonna through that's gonna be a big story through the first half of next year. And so it's still it's still it's still live. It's still something to watch. Right, because I thought it, I thought it had finished. Yeah, dropped off like the front I, pages, but it's yeah. <laughs> I don't really I don't read a long, a long way past the front page. I got to be honest. <laughs> Of any book or publication, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So where does yeah. that leave? So so that's happening in China, and mm. the other big story was, of course, Australia's kind of relationship with China mm. got a bit strained through mm. this year. Where where are we at now? Ah, uh, that that hasn't changed. Course. So yeah. So a couple of years ago, or sort of with with the launch of COVID, really, it coincided with a shift in the sort of geopolitical landscape. America moved more towards strategic engagement away from sort of seeing themselves as best buddies with China. Uh, mm. Australia followed suit. We had to sort of, we had, came to a point where we sort of had to choose sides between America and China, um, and we chose chose America. And that's sort of coming out even more. Peter Dutton came out last week or the week before with quite a big... Um, sort of heavy hitting speech about the need to sort of engage contain China and engage China as a, as a strategic rival not I think he was using those exact words but uh, that's sort of shaping up people are talking about the coalition running a, on a khaki election making the sort of tensions in China a, a key point of difference between themselves and labor but yeah it's still going on a khaki a khaki election yeah that's what right. we're looking at. So not not a very beige, brown sort of election. <laughs> <Not> a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right. Yeah. So, so yeah. we're not going to be we're not going to be sending China any Christmas cards this year. Don't think so. I don't think we're, we're on their Christmas any. card list. No. Yeah. No. Oh, well, that's a shame. Chinese New Year presents. Don't expect any. Yeah. I mean, the right. interesting thing was we, they they were all these sort of trade bans. They banned Aussie coal, but then the energy crisis hit, and then they said, "Oh, actually, mm. we need to let some Aussie coal in." <laughs> <laughs> It was a kind of a funny thing. So like it, uh, it's interesting, like because we're a commodity exporter and commodities are fungible, like they're sort of interchangeable. One container load of coal is no different from another. It kind of doesn't matter where it's coming from. And as long as global demand holds up, then commodity exports in Australian commodity exports hold up. So it doesn't hurt us too much on that level, but there's things like wine and milk and they're like agricultural products that that are feeling the heat from from the from the china lockout so yeah it's sort of so it is it's not it's not a massive blow to the aussie economy but it is changing a bit of a the shape of our export profile all right um i did actually i did some research because i was curious when i had the thought about whether we would send china a uh, christmas card or not and i did some research into how they celebrate christmas in china and it turns out they do. They do celebrate mm. it. And they're pretty much the same. They celebrate it the same way that we do here. They have massive sales events and bargains galore to be had. So it's not so much a, a relig- religious holiday there like it is here. It's kind of more like a Valentine's Day or a Halloween type mm. type event where we all just, just do it for fun. So, so Jesus doesn't get a big mention over there. Though, to be fair, he's not really trending here either. <laughs> um, come Christmas time. So um, well, I did find out though, there's, there's a couple of interesting facts. So it's a, it's a tradition to eat an apple on Christmas Eve in mm. China or to give apples as gifts at Christmas yeah. time. There you go. So that's, their, that's their kind of tradition, which got to be honest, that would make Christmas shopping so much easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just a single trip to the produce market <laughs> <laughs> and you're done. Um, Santa doesn't have elves to help him at the shopping centres in China. Santa has sisters. He brings his sisters along. His sisters? His, wow. Yeah, his sisters. The, the helpers that are, that are there are referred to as, as Santa's sisters. Wow. Um, but that's probably because Santa is way cooler in China than he is in the West. In China, Santa plays the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> How good's that? The saxophone. Yeah. Wow. He's, he's pretty much Christmas Bill Clinton. He's <laughs> maybe just not quite as jolly as old Bill, but yeah, just some things I learned this year. That's what I've been researching, Tom, so yeah. I think we'll call it even on that one. Yeah. Uh, good. All right. Um, inflation was a big, big theme throughout the year. People wondering what it was going to do. Is it here to stay? Is it temporary? Um, mm. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, we still don't know. This is this is another this is another live question. Um, we expected we knew inflation was coming through the supply shocks. We saw a lot of supply you, you disruptions, uh, and we knew that was going to create a, a price shock. And that's landing. It's kind of happening right now. Um, prices are spiking in the developed world. But the question, though, is it is it is it transitory or not? Um, is it going to stick around, or is, or does it just wash through the system because? Um, Kind of like the kind of like energy prices, we just got a bit muddled up with what supply and demand because there was all these disruptions from COVID. Um, but then once it once mm. it works its way through the system, we'll all, we'll get back to normal. Um, that's so that's the question: is that is that true at sort of the the economy wide level? Is is inflation transitory or is it more permanent? If it is permanent, then central banks need to start tightening uh, tightening monetary policy. 
So either winding back on money printing or and or raising rates, um, and and that has a big big impact on on valuations. We saw that with the sort of the bit of the bond quake early in the year. That was a big story around March or April, um, and that's yeah, it's still a live question. So at the moment, the central banks are running with the line that they think it's transitory. Though in New Zealand, as we said last week, it's you know inflation's up around five percent there now, so they're thinking it's more permanent. They're starting to raise rates. There's more central banks around the world starting to raise rates as well. Um, yeah, so that's 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 still a live question right now, um, and that and where that lands in the first half of next year will really define the outlook for markets. I think well for, for share prices in particular, particularly for your growth stocks. So all I've heard there is you've had since March to work it out. <laughs> You economists, <laughs> you don't know. Mm. So we, we we're well accustomed to you not not being able to forecast anything, but you've had long <laughs> enough with this problem, surely. <laughs> like I get you don't know where we're headed, but <laughs> uh, anyway, mm. something to keep on working mm. on. Two thousand and twenty-two. Uh, all right. So COVID uh, had a big impact on the year, um, obviously, and immigration mm. uh, was took a big hit as uh, as part of COVID. Nowhere near as many people travelling and, and coming into the country. Mm. Um, so what's that done to unemployment and wages? Yeah, well, the 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 read we have at the moment is that um, it's helped hold the unemployment rate down. So we we're in the middle of a really really interesting experiment in what it's like to run zero immigration. So we've been running immigration at around 300,000 people a year for the past 10 years or so. Um, and that sort of was up from around 100 odd, 80 to 100 odd in the 2000s. Um, and so then, now there's a really, we're doing a really interesting experiment. Like what is what happens when immigration is zero? Um, and we're seeing like unemployment rate is very low and it does seem that the it's always hard to identify things purely in economics because you never get a pure experiment. There's always other things going on. But it does, the evidence seems to suggest that the unemployment rate is substantially lower than where it would have been and that wages growth is higher than it would have been as well. Um, and this, so that's, that's, an, that's a, it's an interesting kind of, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting experimental result. And I think it does shift the way we, we the public you know, discourse around immigration is shaping people. It's it's less popular than it was before COVID. There's been a bit of a turn in sentiment in the polls around against immigration or against particularly high immigration. Um, and that and that's that's been really interesting. That's quite different. And you know, the is that a turnaround? Is that is that more a sentiment against COVID though? Like people just see COVID as existing in other countries, and we don't want COVID being brought here. Is that the sentiment, or is it against? Is is it a change in sentiment against immigration generally? I, th- I think it's more general because the question is the question that, that the polls that I've seen it has been like: Where do you think? Im- where do you want immigration to go back to next year? Do you want to go back to three hundred thousand? Do you want to go back to a hundred thousand? Do you want it closer to zero? And it's not very popular to push it back towards 300,000. It's much, much more right. popular to sort of go l- low or zero. And I think, I think people do realise that the labour market prospects in the short run are better with lower immigration. And, and that's particularly the way that we, we run immigration policy in Australia. It's very skill shortage driven. And skill shortage is just another way for a tight, to describe a tight labour market. 
and in a tight labor market you get mm. wage increases that's kind of the nature of it so we we kind of deliberately run immigration in order to keep wages down that's sort of that's how we design our immigration program by and large um and i think mm. That we're sort of looking at that and going like, is that really what we want to do? Maybe, maybe you know, humanitarian visa visa program is a better way to run immigration policy rather than targeting skill shortages and, and wages. Right. So I think, yeah, yeah. So I think that'd be mm, so. I think I think that's that's I think there's been a bit of a shift this year because we just have had this experiment and we've seen the results of that experiment. So yeah, I think it'll that'll be an interesting one in 2022 to track. All right, 2021, the year of money printing. Mm. Is that fair to say? Or maybe that started in 2020. True. Um, but it's still, it's carried on. It's rife in 2021. Mm-hmm. Where are we at with, uh, the, with the printing presses? Yeah, still, still $4 billion a week, pumping it out $4 billion a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, not slowing down anytime soon. It's a, bit, it's a bit of an arms race too because you're kind of in, we're kind of stuck um, – trying to keep up with our neighbors in a way our economic neighbors and sort of so if we stop if we stop printing money and, and america keeps printing money then the aussie dollar becomes relatively more scarce compared to the u.s dollar and that pushes up the price of the aussie dollar which creates problems for aussie exporters typically so and the rba has got that in mind and so they're like kind of a bit they're, they're a bit tired because we're a small economy to sort of following what's happening in the global level with in terms of money printing. And, yes, America's not slowing down yet either. So we're kind of, yeah, we're still just pumping out the money and we still really don't know what's going to happen. We, don't, we still don't know exactly what's going what's gonna to come with that. Is it going to create <laughs> consumer price inflation? Is it going to create asset price inflation? That's what, yeah. Mm. It's, it's <laughs> we still don't know. We still don't know after 10 years. of. It's the beauty of this yeah. show. <laughs> Is that we can just every week come back and just say we still don't know. We're still working on it. Uh, I think we actually have a question about that coming up Mm. later on too and ask us anything. Um, All right, the final one I wanted to touch on was house prices. Mm. What's happening with house prices? They've gone through the roof. There was a house around the corner from me. We walked in. We had an open. They had an open inspection. We went and had a look just to see what what it was like. We walked out saying. You know, you know how like my wife and I, Anna, we went and had a look, and and you kind of talk to each other and say, "What would you pay for it? What do you think it's worth?" We pegged it. We haven't looked at a house in probably two years. Just we're just curious. We pegged it at like between eight and nine hundred thousand. We got a message from the real estate agent a day afterwards saying it had sold before before auction for one point four million. One point four. Wow. We were just like, yeah out of town yeah. that is ridiculous yeah. and Anna's, Anna's like it's a bulldoze job I'm like it's not a bulldoze job <laughs> she's adjusted to the new kitchen quickly then <laughs> it was actually it's quite nice I had a pool of had a pool. stuff in there like three toilets we had the same we had the same story place around the corner from us quite nice we had a price guide of 1.2 to 1.3 ended up going for 1.8 mm. It's crazy. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, I mean, Nash- <laughs> tell me, tell me, that's not our research on house prices yeah. for this for this yeah, segment. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> we've done some we've we've done some market analysis. <laughs> we looked at a house around the corner from Adam and a house around the corner from Thomas. <laughs> we've decided that house prices are through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. But no, I mean, we're seeing this, we're seeing this nationally is 20% nationally is like, that's for, that's a phenomenal pace of growth, 20% year on year. It's interesting in the sense of it's, it's at a regional level too. Often you have growth concentrated in the capitals, but the regions are booming as well. Um, yeah, going, yeah. So going crazy. So yeah, again, super interesting, super interesting. The rental market's also growing at like the rental prices are growing at 9% without immigration. So that's really interesting as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, it's, it, it is interesting. But I think it's what happens when you've got super low interest rates and um, yeah, money printing is sort of what happens. And the way I kind of think about it now is I feel like land is the the bedrock of the economy and when you print money and when you create money or you create cheap money through through money through low interest rates that money f- filters through the economy and settles in land and bids up land prices mm. so all ec- all economic creation ends up in land eventually that's sort of how I'm coming to think about it mm. As long as it doesn't end up in landfill, that's not environmentally sustainable. <laughs> All right, cool. Coming up after the break, we've got lots of your questions for us on our Ask Us Anything episode. Our final one for the year. Stay tuned for more Comedian versus Economist coming up right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist, and this is our final show for the year. Um, the final official one I said earlier, so this is the final one that Thomas and I will be doing together. But over the Christmas break, we do have some content for you to get your ears around. So Thomas has been busy. He's been doing um, some interviews with uh, with the University of Queensland, actually, the Economics um, Society mm-hmm. there, Thomas, yeah, is that right? right? Uh, at UQ, um, as well as holding some uh, some sessions at various sustainability festivals, talking about economics for good and also the weaponization of confusion. So we're going to be bringing you those episodes um, throughout the throughout the summer, throughout the Christmas period. So yeah, hope, hopefully you'll tune in to to listen to those. I'll be back with Thomas in January, and we'll we'll get back onto the program regular, as it were. But uh, hopefully you will enjoy that. Um, those episodes coming soon but before we get to that Thomas we did ask our listeners to to send us in anything and you guys have done amazing all year and you've sent us through some really good questions so I've got a lot to get through Thomas so I want to start with David and David wants to know why he needs to beat the market Mm. Um, he says if my goal is just to improve my living standard don't I only need to beat inflation or if I want to become one of the top 1%, is there a different benchmark I need to measure for success? 
Uh, well, David, good news is if you're interested in not beating the market, then have I got some solid tips for you. I can definitely help you not, not make any money in the stock market. My question, though, would be how do you plan on getting your Lamborghini if you don't beat the market? That's the big, that's the big challenge. <laughs> Thomas? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the, the challenge. Look, it's hard to beat the market. We, we know this now. Like, it's, you know, active fund managers have, have trouble beating the market after fees consistently. Mm. It's possible to do year to year, but to consistently beat the market is difficult. Um, yeah, and it depends on what your yeah what your goals are. Like if you if you're tracking the market, if you you know for the past twenty years you were tracking the market, you you should be doing pretty well. Mm. Yeah, so it really just kind of depends on how quickly you want to get out of the rat race, really, or or what your financial goals are. Like maybe you're happy in the rat race, maybe you've got a nice job and you enjoy it. So nobody's happy in the rat race. No, I can't. Nobody's. <laughs> If you're if you are you're not in the rat race. You, that's that's you know like you're you're someone who walks around saying I love my job. It's you know I do I do it for fun. That's not someone who's in the rat race. I, I reckon I reckon there's a there's a demographic dimension to this, and I, I reckon like I feel sorry for someone who's like in their early twenties now. Like for, for all previous generations, pretty much you just sort of track the market, invest solidly. Get, get some solid returns. You can sort of get all the good things in life. You can get a house. You can have a few holidays. You can mm. set yourself up. These days, like if you're in your early 20s, I don't know that just tracking the market is really going to set you up for buying a house because house prices have just gone so crazy relative to incomes. Like it's going to be, it's going to, you're going to have to be pretty patient to save up for a house. Like we know that, you know, it takes 10 years on average now to save up for a house. That's good, you know, that's a, mm. and that's that's a full decade of working solidly and tucking money away. What did it used to take? I felt like that. I felt like when I started working, I was about ten years away from being able to uh, save for a deposit. It's not. In fact, I never, I never did. I just married well. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, that's our advice, David. <laughs> <laughs> I married someone really sensible, sensible yeah. and that's helped me a lot. No, like it's 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 up from like four or five years back in the the nineties okay. or something. So, are we looking at a correction anytime soon though in the housing market, or in you know is it going to come back? I heard something the other day that said we're looking at ten percent drop in two thousand and twenty three. Is that on the cards? You'd have to kind of think that if if interest rates fully reversed to where they were pre COVID, mm. that you'd have a twenty percent correction. Because if you mm. if you think that the twenty percent that we've had has come about through record low that through through the drop in interest rates and money printing, if that were to be reversed, it would make sense that that the house prices would be reversed. The housing market t- kind of doesn't work that way because people often don't sell until they're forced to. They don't they don't take a haircut on their house or their investment property unless they really have to, and they only really have mm. to in a recession when they're losing their job and they need to liquidates and get rid of their debts um and that's that's right. when you see large house price corrections i'm really confused because we had a recession and house prices boomed <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had a recession but unemployment was in the fours so like i don't right. like, i don't think you're going to yeah, see okay. a, a um a house price correction until you get unemployment in the eights uh, okay all right well that's actually good. that's a good follow-on um a good segue to 
Jane's question. And Jane said, what is the interest rate rise where Australia is likely to experience real issues servicing the large home loans so many have taken on? Mm. So I think, so what, what she's asking here, I guess, is what's the number? Like at what point, what, mm. are, what does the interest rate number look like where, you know, we're going to start seeing some servicing issues for the home loans that everyone's taking yeah. on? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the banks have their buffer rate, which is like 3%. So if you take current interest rates plus 3%, anything north of that is beyond what the banks think that, that people can, can comfortably service. They can probably still service mm. it for a while, but, but north of 3%, north of current rates plus 3% is when people probably start to get into trouble. So what would that be? That would be about 5%? About, it, yeah, what's the average yeah, I think home loan rate at the moment? About 2 2.5, two maybe 2.5 to 3. Two and a half. Yeah, yeah. Fixed yeah. rates are sort of coming off the off their record lows. So, yeah, like I think, yeah, five and a half, six probably is probably going to start start to see a bit of pain. But it's only in the cohort that buy, has bought in recently that, and so it's not. This is, this is sort of the other thing. So, you know, if you bought, like, if you bought when we bought, or like when I bought, which was like four or five years ago, you know. I'm mm. very comfortable because I like I was buying it, you know. Well, I'm, <laughs> well, like I like my I was I was I was paying four and a half percent. My buffer was like seven and a half eight percent. So I'm right, I'm not in yeah, trouble yeah. until we get theoretically, and my income's gone up since yeah. then. But like if my income hadn't changed, I'm not in trouble until interest rates get into like nine percent or something theoretically. So so it's really just the cohort that 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 bought most recently. And even if if all of that cohort gets into trouble, I don't know whether that's enough of a, um, of the total mm. market to be able to move the whole market prices. Do you know what I mean? Even if if that yeah, if right. everyone who bought in the past twelve months had to sell, like it definitely would have an impact. But it's not going to like create a fifty percent correction or something like that. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Mm. All right, uh, another question here from. Tom, Tom, Tommy, uh, T-O-M-E, anyway, Toma. Oh. <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in anyway, Tommy, however you pronounce your name. He said he's got a question regarding the current global debt that has accumulated over the past 50 years. How do governments around the world expect to ever get out of debt? It's an interesting question. I guess there's two, there's two parts to it. Um, first one being, does anyone care? No one seems to care that they're in debt. And therefore, if no one cares, then do, then getting out of it becomes kind of irrelevant. <laughs> so does anyone care and do they expect to ever get out of it? There's sort of a question about who they owe money to. So if you look at right. and the, the sort of where, where debt crises happen is when you owe money, typically when you owe money to external creditors and you owe money in foreign currencies. So imagine Argentina owes money to US investors and they owe it in US dollars. That's where you, that's mm. that's a risky situation because if the currency moves against you and interest rates rise and then you can't you just can't meet, meet those repayments. But you take like Japan for example, Japan owes its own population, so large like the government debt is large like I had something 80 90% to Japanese domestic investors mm. largely through pension funds and things and it's issued in it's in japanese yen and the government because it can print money it's never really going to get into trouble and um as yeah so as long as that sort of stays manageable and 
yeah, and it can sort of just sort of roll on, you know, kind of indefinitely. Like you can kind of, like, as long as you can keep servicing the debt, you can kind of just keep carrying the debt. And because you're a government, you have no life cycle, so you just keep just keep rolling it on year after mm. year after year. Um, so didn't the, didn't the the Australian I forget which government it was. But we had, was it um, Tony Abbott maybe who was spruiking back in the black? And oh, was, we might have yeah, covered no, this on a very early episode. Yeah, Josh Frydenberg, that was his budget before COVID. That was his, back yeah, in, back in the, pre-COVID. Yeah, back, in, back in black and back on track. Yeah. Right, that's right. Yeah. And so there, there was obviously a priority at one point, but that we've abandoned that now? Yeah, no, it never made sense. It never made sense. It, it was always like, it was, a, it was soundbite politics that you could point to this debt I mean, yes, I say like some countries did get into trouble with it, but they 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 weren't monetary sovereign. They were issuing debts in foreign countries, and they didn't have control over their own, you know, interest rates and exchange rates. Um, and and they got into trouble, and that that created this idea that that debt is always bad, and then you could sort of prove yourself as an economic manager by keeping debt low or zero or keeping the budget in surplus but there's no sort of great economic theory that says that a a reasonable budget deficit is not is worse than a reasonable budget surplus um Mm. that that's not in economic theory that that was pure politics that people call it the debt fetish that that it it became this totally unrealistic focus point because people could sort of talk about it and people got it and yeah, so it, it typical economists, even their fetishes are boring. <laughs> Monetize me. <laughs> yeah, so no, like, and and that's the thing. Like, it's the, this Josh Fry makes the same the same uh, you know, treasurer who's given us the, the current record deficits now, and everyone's like, yeah, mm. whatever, no worries. And we're kind of like the conversation's <laughs> just right. moved on now. Like, I don't know where that conversation goes now. Like, we just, I don't think we're going to talk mm. about balanced budgets with the same you know fervor that we used to talk about them all right dylan has sent us a a message uh said it's a pretty weird world at the moment all asset classes seem to be up from coffee to crypto bonds offer no safety against inflation cash is bad for inflation asset prices seem too high which would be a normal hedge against inflation and economists predict doom. I'm not sure about that, but probably. So opinion only, of course, Thomas, we don't give financial advice on this show. How do we hedge and protect ourselves against pending inflation? I think this is an excellent question. I've been wondering this one myself Mm. because you keep hearing, you know, um, inflation's coming so you can buy assets in inflation. But, But if you also accept that, asset prices are grossly inflated mm. or they're, 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 too, they're too expensive, then what do you mm, do? Mm. You're stuck in, in no man's land. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting time in economics in the sense like we're, we're really in uncharted territory. It is, it is cliche, but there's no, there's no playbook for the current economic conditions. Like we've never, we've never seen this. We've never had interest rates at pretty much zero. We've never had central banks the world over just pumping out the cash in Australia at four billion a week. We've never really had this scenario. So we don't really know what's what's going to happen. And so that's so the first point is like, are you going to hedge inflation against inflation? Like it kind of sounds reasonable, but like I'm like personally I'm not convinced that that inflation isn't just t- transitory. 
And I think when you look at the structural factors driving inflation, which is sort of like the dematerialization of the entire economy, everything's going digital, everything's going to mm. like freemium models, like the entire economy is demonetizing. Victor Schwetz at Macquarie says everything's going to zero. Like even the whole, the concept of a company is sort of becoming, is dissolving the sort of rationale for having a company. So that, that that structural factors that sort of playing out over the past 10, 20 years, they're not they're not disappearing. There's still a huge amount of work labor force coming online in developing Asia and then into Africa. So the ability to pump out super cheap goods isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, then you bring in AI and all of this sort of things. Like stuff's getting cheaper. And it's going to keep getting cheaper. Like that's that's the structural driver. So you've got you've got that at a structural level on on one side. On the other side, you've got massive money printing programs happening and huge mm. amounts of cash gushing into the system. Um, but where that money ends up is an open question. You know, like does it end up in consumer prices? maybe does it end up in asset prices it seems to my theory as i was talking about before is it tends to sort of all end up in land right so does does it end up in asset prices does it end up in speculative investments because interest rates are super cheap and now you got like a crypto boom mm. it, that's sort of not not sort of settled either so it's like it's quite possible you could have inflation where it's all in asset prices and speculative assets but have no consumer price inflation but we've never seen that before so particularly when talking about in an inflation hedge you're talking about hedging against consumer price inflation, but we might not have consumer price inflation. We might, you know, the money printing might create a different type of inflation, or it might create something entirely new that we've never seen before. So mm. that that's that's the challenge in hedging against the current economics kind of climate is that it's just not exactly clear what it is, and it's just very difficult to forecast. Yes, right. <laughs> I knew that's where we were heading. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he wondered. Uh, Dylan wondered maybe if art was was maybe oh, yeah, a good investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, thing things like that. Maybe classic cars. I don't know. I I saw a like I saw a Tirana the other day. It was going for sixty thousand dollars. Me and my mate, we used to have Tiranas when we were kids. <laughs> like you know, first got our license, you you, you had Tiranas turning around. Like that's sixty grand. Like jeez, that's performing pretty well uh not the car i mean the investment but um yeah 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 maybe yeah yeah i don't know yeah it could be that's the other thing like we we talk there's a a concept called the everything bubble is that when when prices when interest rates get so low you just get a bubble in everything Mm. so it's in crypto it's in nfts it's potentially in growth stocks it's in land it's Mm. in property prices what about commodities like silver and gold and and you know, yeah, um, I don't know, iron ore and things like that. I guess they're all that's been all over the shop. Well, too. Yeah, I mean, gold and silver has been really interesting. Like they haven't hasn't done anything in the like it's gone nowhere for the past twelve eighteen months. Again, against all economic theory. Like so, if you'd followed economic theory of a decade ago, massive money printing would have said buy gold, buy silver, buy commodities. Yeah. Um, but if you you know that strategy and up you know until now hasn't served you at all. Like, you know, I'm, yeah, the gold I bought gone nowhere. Well, I bought a I bought a silver um, crypto coin, that, a, a token that tracks it's AGS, I think it is, tracks the uh, <laughs> tracks the price of silver. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I was hedging against buying into just the, the metal. I thought I'd, I'd hedge by buying a crypto token. <laughs> but then I, I decided I'd had enough. I'd been in it for like a couple of weeks and it went nowhere, which was just totally, you know, um, against my crypto investing philosophies. <laughs> Um, it had moved by like 1% in two weeks. I thought this is nowhere near a wild enough ride for me. So I got out and when I had to sell it, I lost like 50 bucks on the, on the fee for selling it. I was outraged. I mean, if, if, it's, if it's any comfort that like there's no one who's, like, that I've read right now that is high conviction any one way or the other. Like the general right. vibe that, I, that I'm reading is kind of one of confusion. Like there's people mm. kind of able to identify the trends but there's no one's high conviction about where it's going and what the best way to hedge for it and to, to prepare for is. Like, there's a lot of sort of hedge bets one way, one way or the right. other out there. That, that, that's, what, that's sort of what I'm seeing. So, you know, if you're feeling that confusion, if you're feeling like, I don't know how to play this market, you're not alone. Like, Buy everything or sell everything. You can't be you can't be sitting on the sidelines, can you? Because the inflation will, will bite you. Yeah. But if you buy everything, then... You might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be in. I'd be in. I'm in, I reckon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that, Easy as yeah. that. Tom's that, in. That's, that's my punt. <laughs> like, yeah, like in a, <laughs> in a reasonable way. Like, I'm not like, I'm not gearing yeah, yeah. up in a massive way. Like, I still think, I still think we'll bump along. I, I, I think... You know, think the everything in the economy is an like is a relativity. So, like a price is is a, is an indication of relativity. Bread is worth something relative to cars. That's what price allows you to do. Mm. And yep. so the, that relativity has adjustment. So I think, like you know, share prices, for example, like if if they're out of alignment, the share price itself doesn't have to adjust to come back into alignment. That other things can shift. Um, yeah, and, right. and there's a whole range of things in play now. Like it maybe it's like property prices adjust and that's how it plays out. And so I kind of, that's t- my, my sense, you know, and this is uh, like, this is, I mean, we're in pure personal opinion right now. Mm. My sense is that, that asset prices are protected in a political sense that no one wants to see stock market crash. No one wants to see property prices crash. And if the adjustment can be forced onto other sectors of the economy, it will. Like we will create policies that do that, right. you know, and that the big criticism of money printing and record low interest rates, it was that it was designed to, to defend, to, to stop the share market crashing. And that's, that's all it was designed to do. Yeah. Like it wasn't actually about helping the economy. It wasn't actually about keeping people in jobs. It was just about protecting the, protecting the share market. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that exactly, but I think there is, might be some grain of truth to that. And I think we have sort of seen, you know, particularly for property, like as soon as property starts looking a bit shaky, you start, you see first time owner grants, you see construction grants, you see sort of these measures come in to, to try and protect the property, to protect property prices. Because any government that, you know, presides over a 20%, 30% crash in house prices gets wiped out of the next election. Mm. So if there's any comfort in that, maybe there is. <laughs> <laughs> Not financial advice. <laughs> All right, very good. Um, finally, well, one last question here uh, from Liam, and Liam is asking, and, and I know Thomas, <laughs> I know you don't like, I know you don't like this, Liam. Sorry, I've got to ask you. This is what Liam wants to know. <laughs> Liam was asking, what is forecast mm. as being the biggest contributors to Australia's GDP going into the future? Mining and financial services for the rest of our lives, or technology, software, and advanced manufacturing growing? Thomas. 
I know, we know you shit out at full casting, <laughs> but what do you what do you think it's going to be? Is it Tyrannus? Maybe <laughs> Tyrannus going to hold up Australia's GDP? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's yeah very difficult to forecast, very difficult to predict. Uh, when we're talking about industry mix over the long run, um, and partly because technology changes in a way that that makes it really hard to yeah anticipate um you know even look 20 years on like 20 years ago it'd be hard to look at the current time and kind of understand what the economy would look like and what what sectors are doing well and what companies are doing well like we are you know you look at the asx we're we're overweight on commodity exporters and banks that's sort of the you know what people the stylized fact about the the asx I don't expect that to change. I think we'll probably, you know, if we're talking about like a 10-year horizon. Like I think like, um, I think we'll probably see a shift away from coal. Like I think that that does seem like we're sort of coming to the end of that run. Um, but like iron ore, I think we'll still, do, we'll still be strong, kind of the minerals and construction, uh, energy minerals, other energy minerals probably do okay i reckon so i I still think we'll get the we'll trade on that strength when we had tim on a few weeks ago he like he really laid out a great case for why how australia could become an energy superpower because we have the land and the the energy resources the solar and the wind and all of that and that and the technological Mm. barriers to exporting that are, are disappearing you know talking about like cables to singapore and that sort of thing so I can I could I can see a future now where we where we we become an energy superpower and a big so we remain a big energy exporter, and then that kind of allows the domestic economy to kind of take whatever shape we like and so yeah we'll probably stay stay heavy on banks and yeah the rest of sort of be consumer focused I think so yeah, that's, that's sort of mm. my ten cents on that but yeah very difficult to predict. <laughs> So I would just do the opposite, uh, Liam. I would, I would just assume the opposite of what. <laughs> no, I think that that makes sense. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, that that brings us to the end, Thomas. Uh, brings us to the end of of this year. Thank you so much for uh, for doing the show with me. I've genuinely enjoyed doing it with you, and, and genuinely enjoyed getting all the feedback and and questions along the journey, um, particularly for the, the ask us anything questions today, but also. Um, throughout the year, um, we love having your questions coming through, whether that's on, on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast uh, or via the email cve at equitymates.com. Feel free to send us an email over the break. Uh, we love to hear from it, though we might not get back to it uh, as promptly as we otherwise would. Um, as I mentioned, we do have a big summer series of shows coming up, though. Um, a two-part interview kicking us off on uh, the 15th of December. Uh, was with an interview that you did with University of Queensland Economic Society. Then on the 5th of January, we've got a two-part series, Economics for Good. Thomas, can you tell us a little bit about, about that one? Uh, yes, yeah, so at a festival that I helped run, uh, we've just we've got some interesting people there talking about what a how we might make the economy work better for humans. Um, yeah, got an impact investor, guy runs a kind of a big investment company, um, focused on doing some good work plus a few social change activists um yeah so quite that was a quite interesting discussion yeah cool uh and then on the 19th of january we've got uh, another two-parter uh weaponization of confusion thomas that was another festival yeah yeah yeah, same festival so i was hosting another panel there um that one we got the uh, filmmaker damien damien gamio who's uh has two two of his films in the top four of all-time documentaries in australia 
uh, and a couple right. of other yeah, content creators and was just looking at the kind of current climate um, and how to sort of sift the truth from the noise and how, how that's become difficult and just sort of, yeah, taking, taking stock of the, the information landscape. So it's some really good content there, some really interesting stuff. Um, I've had a listen to them already, actually. And, um, yeah, they're actually, they're actually a really good listen. So, so make sure you tune in for those. Um, and don't forget, of course, across Equity Mates Media, uh, we've got Equity Mates Investing Podcast, Get Started Investing. You're in good company. They all have a summer series of, of shows running, so there's lots of content um, to get your ears around. Um, and I guess that's it for us for the year. So, um, yeah, once again, thank you so much for, for listening. Um, please go and leave us a review, one last, one last request. Um, but otherwise, we hope you have a, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Uh, stay safe, look after each other, and uh, we'll be back with more Comedian versus Economist on the second, starting, resuming the 2nd of February, Thomas. Uh, so mm. I'm very much looking forward to that. Did you have any final thoughts? No, no, thanks everyone for listening. It's been a fun journey. I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Mm. Excellent. All right. Well, take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you again soon. See you. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.